Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com, and I'm your host, Michael Fordham. If you just click the link on my webpage or you're listening on blogtalkradio.com or even the Blog Talk Radio player on my Facebook page and you want to call in live, look, we'd love to talk with you. So give us a call. The number is 347-326-9470. Oh, need a minute to get something to write with? But don't worry, I'll give the number again right after the commentary. Or if you like, you can Twitter me your questions and comments at twitter.com slash a measure of truth. Also, if you haven't yet, why don't you look me up on Facebook? I'm the Michael Fordham with a photo of me in studio, and you can always email me your questions and comments at a measure of truth at gmail.com. Look, we got a great show for you today. We'll be right back after this. Show That Children Love Incorporated is a nonprofit organization founded by Siobhan Beecham and Tony Coleman. Show That Children Love provides a free literacy program to children with and without learning disabilities. They also offer free tutoring services for children in special education classes at schools and children with learning disabilities, as well as those who are on the autism spectrum. Music therapy, self-esteem classes, and behavioral management are just a few of the free courses offered to children in low-income areas in Baltimore and the Maryland vicinity. Shervon Beecham, welcome to A Measure of Truth. Hi, thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me on your show. Well, I'm really glad to have you. You know, Shervon, I speak to a lot of people who have, you know, nonprofits and are out there in grassroots organizations and people who are doing great things for the community, but very few have I talked with that have the passion that you have for what you do. Just tell us a little bit about Show the Children Love Incorporated. Okay. Well, Show the Children Love Incorporated is a nonprofit organization, and we do provide a free literacy program to children of all ages with and without multiple physical disabilities. Uh, what we do is we provide children free tutoring services, special education classes, as well as those who are on the autism spectrum. We offer self-esteem classes, behavior management, and we take them out into the community to heighten their social skills. So um, basically that's a big surrounding of exactly what we do, and uh, it's basically direct care 
at a facility. So the children would come to our location and we would provide reading assistance for those children. And we incorporate the reading and the music therapy with the children as well. Now, Siobhan, um, you seem to have a talent with the kids and um, a real passion for working with them. So how did it all begin for you? Wow, Michael. It began uh, when I was younger. I actually had a niece who was born with cerebral palsy and vision impairment, and I helped take care of my niece. Uh, And during that time, I've seen exactly how hard it was to take care of her, and I took the initiative to learn more and take classes to learn how to take care of her. And I knew just by taking care of her myself, that it had to be hard on other families. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to take the extra step to learn and train myself onto how to take care of children with disabilities and to help relieve some other families out there who need that extra help to help them as well. Now, you've been working with children in need for quite some time, and you've run the gamut of organizations that you've worked with and um I saw that one of them, you actually volunteered for eight years. Tell us about when you really discovered your passion for working with these children, and why has it been such a big part of your life? Um, I discovered my talent for working with these children with disabilities when I actually started volunteering in New Jersey. Um, I was actually one of the people who were in the department in the day program where I helped do the movie night. and all of the artistic stuff that you can do with the adults. And I saw how happy they were when I was working with them, making them feel in charge. I would help let someone be in charge of doing the popcorn, choosing the movies, and they were so happy. And I had one of them come to me and just tell me how happy that they are that I'm there and to be able to come and sit with them and watch movies. And I felt the passion and the need that all they wanted was someone to be with them and just be close to them and be one-on-one. And I felt touched, and it touched me because I, I felt that they really want the love. And I give all of my love and passion to these adults and these children because all they want to do is feel like one of the other. Mm-hmm. And it just drew me very close to them. And I wanted to do more, and then I started wanting to work with children because it starts from when they're little. And I felt that if I can start working with younger children and help them improve and build their self-esteem about their disability, then when they get to that adult level, the adults that I was working with, they will have more confidence in themselves. Mm. And and I hear what you're saying that, you know, it sort of starts with treating them like everybody else as opposed to treating them differently based on what you perceive or see. Wow. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the that's the concept you want them to know that they aren't different. We all are different. None of us are the same. And when you put that into that child's mind, they won't feel like an outcast. You bring them in to the community and you bring them in to a group where they feel they are one. Everyone is the same. And that's how I make a child feel. They're no better and no less than anyone else. Everyone's unique. And we all have that talent. Wow. Wow. So so tell us about Tony Coleman. How did you guys discover one another? Well, me and Tony Coleman, we reconnected on social media and uh, we both are from New Jersey, and uh, we reconnected that way, and we started talking about what we were doing now. And I mentioned about my business that I already have, which is a respite care business for children with disabilities. And he started talking about the children's books that he's writing for children mm-hmm. with low self-esteem, with wow. uh, you know that just feels neglected. And he's also a musician, so. I already had a program in mind about helping children learn to read, and we started communicating about that together. And so we thought we both had the same interests, we both had that same passion, and I felt that passion when he talked that he was the one chosen to work with me. 
because the mm. person that I have to work with has to feel it in their heart to right. want to make a change. Wow. And you can wow. Say, yes, and we connect it instantly. And that's Wow, that's a great intro for Tony. Tony Coleman, welcome <laughs> to A Measure of Truth. <laughs> hey, thanks, Mike, for having me, man. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. It's, uh, you know, it's interesting to me because I know a lot of talented musicians, and you have, you know, a lot going on, but music therapy. Tell us about that. How did you discover music therapy and its impact on people? Well, number one, um, I play the piano, and mm-hmm. I know from years of just from being a child that I always loved music. I'm just being in church. So, you know, you know, I have a, a church background. So from just mm-hmm. being in church, listening to music, you know, me and my cousins, we used to always, you know, like make up songs and, you know, bang on the walls and just make up songs. And it's not, you know, rap, it's, you know, just singing because, you know, we grew up in a gospel background. So um, from, one, from one year to the next, you know, music was always the, the thing that I would do and listen to. It. So, um, you know, of course, having different voices and, you know, just listening um, I believe that, you know, how you put music and dirt together, it's like, you know, music bombs the savage beast. So it's like if you have someone that, you know, that has, you know, that's disturbed or, or have a mental disability, the good thing about it is you can you can calm an animal with music. It just has to be the right type of music. So mm-hmm. from comparing an animal to, you know, life, that's that's, that's life as well. So you, you have people, you know, that have, you know, disabilities where they're not able to um, function on their own. But I tell you this, once they hear music and they listen to music, they're functioning because it's something that's stimulating their mind. Mm-hmm. So from being stimulated by the sound of music, whether it's classical music or jazz, um, um, blues or strings, um, you know, drums, constant drums, Constant drums are for, uh, for uh, I believe, well, the people that have um, ADHD where they're able to, um, you know, they have that, that, that constant noise that something has to be repetitive in order for them to, mm-hmm. to be able to connect with it. So mm-hmm. music therapy, me, when it comes to, you know, music therapy is something that can, it's like medicine to the body, like, you know, like pharmaceutical to, to the system as well. So I, I would say music therapy is pharmaceutical to, to our human body, and and what we do it it creates more um, it, it allows it allows us to function a lot more than we would if we didn't have music. What would the world be without music today? No. Absolutely, yeah. So tell us, um, how do you incorporate music therapy into what you guys do when you're working with children? Uh, number one, like for example, um, I would say that how we would incorporate it, we would basically, like for example, classical music. I say classical music. Um, classical music is a stimuli. Come children that have, you know, certain you know behavioral issues. Um, that would a child. Um, for example, say like if Siobhan was, you know you know, sitting with the child and, you know, going over their homework or teaching them blocks with different shapes. Um, you would incorporate, you know, what Siobhan does with what I do by me um, playing a segment of music, um, preferably um, I would say something like um, Beethoven, Moonlight is Sonata number nine, Concerto number nine. Um, something like that, that's something that's very common. Um it would allow the children to be able to be relaxed. Whether if there wasn't any music, it would also, it would give them uh, it would give them something to just ease their mind and say, "Oh, I'm comfortable." And that's the, the number one thing that you want when it comes to a child for the child to be comfortable. Because if the child is comfortable comfortable with you, then you're able to to help that child, and the, the child will be able to know that you care about them and that you're willing to teach them. And whatever it is that they're grabbing from you, you're able to to, to take that. Another avenue, I would say, is um, even in a child's book, if we're reading in a, in a child's book, what I do is, like I said, create music. So if, um, for example, say like if there's a book that I wrote, 
and I would put like maybe a, at the end of a reading segment of the book, there would be a button that you can press, and it would have the music. Um, there would be a sample of what uh, of music that um, can be played for the child. Maybe the child will like it. Maybe they won't. But it'll be something that'll stimulate the mind. So allow them to be able to want to press that button again. Awesome. Now, um, to me, what I see in you guys is a, a lot of out-of-the-box thinking and, and trying to relate and uh, communicate at a, a much different level than most yeah. adults would normally think when they yeah. are dealing with kids. It's almost as if a lot of folks who are adults, when they, when they sort of shift gears to children, they've got that one gear. Yeah. You know, and when something is a little different or something they can't relate to, they get frustrated and they give up quickly. So tell us about how it is that you walk into a situation where, where the relationship with the child and the parents may be a little dysfunctional. How do you begin to sort of work your way in and help parents to understand that, you know, there's work here that can be done that will be very helpful to the child? I can answer that because I deal with that every day. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you, you hit it on the button, Michael. We are out-of-the-box thinking team because I have clients that tell me they have never met anyone who teach their child the way I do. And I'm going to tell you exactly why and how I handle a family when I go into the home. When I initially get a client, I let the client know that I need to meet them and the child at their home together. I want the home environment because I need to see how the child lives. I need to see where the child plays. I need to see how this child acts on a daily basis. And what I do is when I come into the home, I sit down. Of course, the child is a little afraid at first. When I come into the home, I ask the parent exactly what is it that you are looking for me to help you with your child with. Okay, and so they give the basic, oh, I want my child to be able to learn how to do this. I want them to be able to read this. I want them to be able to go outside and play, swing, this, that, and the third. So what I do different is that I don't come in to apply babysitting services. I come in and I apply one-to-one social learning and interaction. And what I do is I tell the parent to let the child be and let them do whatever it is that they do. If they start to act out, I want the parent to watch me and how I handle that child because not only do I come in and I help their child, I educate the parent as well. So I give them a list of things. This is what I want you to do, and this is how I want you to teach the child. So when I leave, that learning continues because if you keep it on a repetitious pattern, the child will never fail. I have a child who has ADHD, he's autistic, and he has a learning disability, and he has a speech impediment. So I have a lot of things going on, meaning when he's frustrated, he can't tell me. So he gets upset. So the parent doesn't have the patience on knowing how do we keep the child sitting in order to teach. And she applauded me because she stated, we have never been able to sit with this child for more than two hours. How is it that you have my son down there reading with you and it's been five hours? The reason why and how is I interact and I let him teach me. Show me what you want and I'm going to teach you how we can get this done because they're used to uh, someone telling them what to do because they can't communicate. They want to tell you what they want to do and how they can do it. And what I do is I reevaluate the scene. I apply how to make it work my therapy session, but making them feel they're doing it on their own. And so I get on the floor with the child. 
There is no seat. I don't sit in a chair. I don't face them up. I sit on the floor. We we we, we are actually playing with each other. I make it mm-hmm. fun, just like Tony said. I incorporate music in every lesson I do because it's I want them to feel that this is fun. They they already was learning at school. When I'm coming, I don't want them to see. Oh boy, here's this woman with some books. <laughs> I'm, you know, I want to play. I want to watch cartoons. So, I had a mom buy one of my clients an uh, iPad that had nothing but specific learning and fun adventures for children with autism. And they were all songs, but they were learning songs. They were teaching them ABCs, teaching them how to pronounce the sounds, because some parents don't know. But what they don't know, you can't fault them. It is our responsibility to educate the parents, not just come in and watch their child for two hours or three hours and then let them go. Mm-hmm. Not that type of person. We're not that type of person. We're a team here. And when I'm educating them, Tony's playing something. If we see that a child is about to have a trigger, something's about to trigger them to have them react, we immediately jump on to where as we're going to start playing some, some music. We stop. You know, we just immediately stop and we jump into something different. We don't force the child to continue something that is making them upset. We find a way to do it in a different manner. So if they're upset about reading that book because we're on the second page, we're going to sing the book. Let's sing. Let's have some fun. And then we go right back. And that's what you do. And how I help the family is because they see how I, I distract the child off of the situation that made them upset. And the child doesn't remember what made them upset. And so that's, that's how you would handle a situation when you come into that home and you show that parent that this is how we're going to do it and this is how I'm going to help your child and your family as well because you're not just helping the child, you're helping the entire family. Right. And that's great because um, you help build relationships between the child and the parent as opposed to trying to take over and becoming the expert and inserting yourself in between the parent and the child. And um, that that's really, really admirable because, you know, I've seen situations where that person wants to be the expert and they want to take charge. And, um, you know, it, it's that person's only there for the time they're there. You know, you have exactly. to do something that has an impact after the door closes and, you know, the parents are still Exactly. Dealing. Yeah, because exactly. you still and you still want the parent to know that they're still in charge. They want to feel that they still have control in that upper hand. But when you leave, you want to leave with the parents being amazed, like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this. They're looking forward to you coming tomorrow. They're looking for I had a client who started off with two days a week. She went to two to five because she, she because she just wanted me to keep coming. I'm like, oh wow, okay. <laughs> so they they have that because you're making the parents feel special too, and you're including them in the learning. This is a learning experience for the parent. And if you exclude the parent and you try to control, you lose the client because now the the parent feels insulted and disrespected. Well, Tony, I want to ask you a little bit about your children's books. Um, wh- why did you start writing children's books? And um, tell us a little bit about what they're about and um, its impact on its readers. Okay. Um, uh, I definitely like to answer that question. Um, the reason why I started writing children's books was one day, um, it's funny because I moved to Florida. I'm from, from New Jersey. I moved to Florida um, in 2012. And um, moving to Florida before, before I left, like it was like the day before. Um, I, I actually went to go visit Plainfield um, Library, Plainfield Public Library, and what happened? Um, I went to visit the uh, the children's section, you know, and what happened? They um, they redid the children's section. They made it look like Jurassic Park in there. You know, they got a little bridge, and they got the wallpaper is like all painted with um, dinosaurs and trees and different types of animals. You know, animals. Um, 
And that triggered that triggered me to just lay in the little gazebo area where they, you know, they do speech. Um, I just laid there. I grabbed a couple pieces of paper. You know, they have scrap paper there. So I grabbed a couple pieces of paper, and I just started writing. And the idea I came up with is when I grow up. And when I grow up, I'm basically about this little kid named Tony. Little Tony, I call him Little Tony. Um, and, you know, every day he walks with his grandfather. Now, this is just a regular book, and um, his mother is a nurse, and his, his father is a chef. And what happens is um, little Tony goes over his grandma, grandfather's house, and you know, his grandfather goes um, to take a walk in Spring Lake Park. That's in South Plainfield, New Jersey. And so from that point, um, you know, the grandfather came to little Tony, and he was talking, and he was walking through the park. Little Tony says, uh, Grandpa, Grandpa, what were you when you grew up? In other words, what, what type of work did you do? Grandfather was like, well, I, I worked in a warehouse. And, you know, they started talking about, you know, different things. So they walked past the little um, fire department, which you can see across the street from Spring Lake Park. And Grandpa was like, hey, Tony, um, what do you want to do when you grow up? Well, Tony said, I don't know. Um, Grandpa was like, well, you think you can be a fireman? You think you want to be a fireman? So Tony was like, well, I'm afraid of things. And then, I'm afraid of fire, too. So, of course, you know, it goes down the line where little Tony, um, you know, grandfather um, suggested a couple of things for little Tony. And little Tony was basically like, oh, no, I don't want to be a doctor because I'm afraid of blood. And, you know, it's a lot of different things. He's like, my mommy's a nurse, so she took care of that part. You know, so it's a little humor in it. The little kid is very intelligent. He knows, you know, you know, different things. One of his favorite subjects is math. So it's like he gets into these little um, ideas that come in his head. He's like, well, he's like, the number one thing that I, that I like to do is I like to help my father um, bake breakfast in the morning when we're making toast. And, um, you know, he's like, I like to put butter on, um, butter on the toast and jelly. He's like, and I love eggs, you know, so it's like a little humor in him. And to, to make the long story short, at the end of the um, book, it's like little Tony says, well, um, I think I know what I want to be. I want to be just like my dad. Uh, what do you call it when my um, when you when you cook when you when you cook? What is the profession for? He says. Grandpa says. Well, it's called a chef. But he says, well, I know what I want to be. I want to be a chef, just like my father. So he says to all those people out there that's listening and reading my and reading my story. He says it doesn't matter who you are, where you are. Find something that you love and become it. Mm. And that's wow. and that's what made me start writing like books, you know, you know, start writing books for children because it gives you something. And at the end of the book, it's like you have a little list. Um, you have like a number from one to five where you can put down what you want to be when you grow up. Five choices. Wow. And anything in your life that you'd like to do or that you want to do, put it down, write it down, so it can come into portion to um, uh, you can bring it to today. Because if it's tangible, reach for them. That's great. You know, that really teaches kids because that's something that perplexes a lot of young people, but they always choose careers based on what they think that person's lifestyle is as opposed to the work itself. And it's mm-hmm. interesting because the, the child asks the questions and puts himself in the position as opposed to just fantasizing about other things that may be attached to a profession or a thing that you do. Exactly. Yeah, oh, that's good stuff. Um, have you published some of your books? Not yet. That's in the, that's in the making. I'm working with someone from D.C., um, and that's in the, in the making. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, we, I, we have an appointment when I, I'm on my next trip when I get there. So. All right. You, you've got an illustrator lined up? Yes, I do. A couple of them. Great, great. All right. Well, we'll definitely have to check back with you and um, find out on the progress of these books and, um, you know, and uh, maybe have you come on and, and read a segment of one of them or just tell us a synopsis of a story again like you just did. That was that was good stuff. Thank you very much, Mike. So what's next for you guys? I mean, you know, you've got a lot of 
things going on. They seem to be on the same path, but, you know, it's different sides of this that help children in um, different ways. These services are all free, so how do you guys make it happen? <laughs> well, I believe what well, Max is... Oh, go ahead, Siobhan. If you want to talk, go ahead. I'm no, sorry. Go ahead. No, you're fine. Okay, I'm just talk brief. Um, well, Mike, what's next? We have a fundraiser that's coming up on the 25th of March. Okay. And um, basically, you know, we're gathering some people together, you know, um, some people that want to sponsor, people that want to help, um, you know, with the cause. And, you know, it, it will allow us to to uh, participate in the things that we need to do for these children. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the number one thing that's next. Um um, we work on we working on getting a, a building. I, I think it's going to be a, a really good thing that you know what what we're doing for the kids. So that's the next thing right there to fund me. And Javon, um, I was just going to just say on that is that that's what we're basically doing is doing a fundraiser, and the fundraiser is um, to help children with autism and special needs for the literacy program, and it's basically to help fund everything that we have going on to be able to provide these free services for the children. We're also giving school supplies out, too, for the children with uh, on the low-income side, children who cannot mm-hmm. afford the necessary things that they need to have for school. So it's not just a, a literacy program. We're also helping all children in need to be able to have a book bag, get a notebook, have some pens and pencils for school so they can be prepared to learn. That's a lot of, of um, stuff that goes on in schools is that a lot of children, they're unprepared because they don't have the money to buy the necessary things. You know, you get a 25 checklist of stuff to bring to school for mm-hmm. the first day of school. Some children can't afford that. And then they have these lists only at Staples or only at, you know, certain areas. Some people can't mm. afford it. And what we want to do is we want to be able to give these children composition books to write in, give them a ruler, a pencil, a notebook, a book bag, a lunch box, something so they can be able to go to school and feel good. This builds self-confidence and character. This is mm-hmm. how... And that's what touches me the most and why I work with children, because of self-esteem. When a child lacks self-esteem, they lack everything else of any interest, because if they feel that they're not a part of something, then they feel, why even do this, because I don't fit in, and I want them to fit in. So this is why we provide these things, so they can feel good about themselves, so they can feel that they fit in. So the fundraiser is to help fund all of these necessities that we can give to the children. These are supplies. These are gifts for these children, for the families to feel good. So it's not just um, just a fundraiser to sell candy or chocolates or books. It's, you know, it's a fundraiser to help give to the less fortunate, to help them. That's great. Now, um, you guys are affiliated with some other, I mean, Siobhan, you've been all over the place and always in the same plane. It's just amazing. Are are any of these other organizations still working with you in this endeavor? Um, actually, I do get um, some clients from some of these organizations that I work with. Because I have such a good rapport with them, mm-hmm. I do get um, I do get referrals. Um, I actually work with a lot of people that I work with at different schools. So a lot of the parents, if they need extra help after school, they have been giving me referrals for those parents because a lot of those parents are already dealt with their student, so they, with the child, so they know how I work. So it's basically I'm, I sold myself. A lot of parents were looking for me. Oh, well, where is Siobhan? She doesn't work here anymore. So they're, they're telling them, oh, yes, she has her own business now, and they let them know, and so they give them my card. So I've actually touched basically all the executive directors and principals at the schools and the actual uh, care facilities that I worked with, and I gave them my business cards to pass out to the parents that I used to work with with the children. 
So I'm mm, constantly right. in contact, yes, because I'm a good worker and I'm constantly in contact with these organizations because not only can they give me referrals, I can give them referrals. Mm-hmm. So and and that's what it's all about. It's about, you know, being able to, you know, make yes, sure that the kids are taken care of first. And sometimes yes. when you're overwhelmed, you you really need to have, you know, those connections in place to, so that you guys can, you know, distribute these things properly, you know, and and that's exactly. another thing, too. Um, when a lot of people start a not-for-profit, you either end up with not enough or too much, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and that's, that's the thing is that the balance that me and Tony have is perfect for this, for our business because we balance each other. And he also has experience in direct care for uh, day schools. So, he has that connection with the child, and he knows how to handle that child as well. And so when we connect, it's like an automatic magnet. We already know what to do next. We know what to do for that child. We know what this child needs, and we just hand them off. So it's no second guessing. It's, oh, let's plan, let's think. We work by instinct because we're just working. We're just doing a regular day-to-day thing. Is not a script. We don't have something written down. I don't use schedules because life isn't a schedule for a child. They if they may not want to eat at two. They may want to eat at one. Why force a child to wait an hour to do what you want them to do to trigger an episode? And that's what it's about, triggering these children to have these behavior problems. I'm not going to put a child in a situation where it's going to make them upset. Right, right. Let's talk about this, though, because I think you're touching on another important factor where you can help intervene and help a parent to better understand their child. When you talk about triggers and episodes, give us really um, an idea of of how some of these things that people may not be aware of are upsetting and um, causing their child to act out. Yes, I can give you an example. Because I'm a behavior specialist, I've actually, majority of my clients that I work with all have behavior issues. I like it personally because it's more rewarding, because you actually get to see the child change. Some of them you can't help, but Javon, I lost you for a second. If if you're moving around the room you're in. No, hello, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, we've got you now, but we did hear you fade out for a second. Go ahead and continue. Yes. Um, what it is is that I have a parent who, who, um, who child loves to eat hot dogs, hot dogs and eggs, hot dogs and eggs, okay? And um, the problem is that child doesn't know what to do. They just want to eat. And that's what a lot of children who have behavior issues or ADHD, they start to run out of things to do and think, and the first thing they want to do is eat. They constantly want to eat a snack, a snack, a snack, a snack. Um, It's like a high for them. And so I have parents who lock their refrigerators or tie it up because they don't want the child going in and out. And um, the child would start to have an episode. And so what, because what I would do is um, I first, you know, I started doing what the parent would tell me, don't let them have this, only have one. And so I started thinking, okay, this child is going to have a behavior episode every time I come. And then the child started um, taking my own stuff. So I was like, okay, so I can't bring food in the house or I can't do this because this child is not allowed to have food. What I decided to do was treat the hot dogs and eggs as a reward. So um, when the child comes in, yes, the child comes in, and I taught the parents to do this, and this will lessen the child to wanting hot dogs and eggs. So I, I bring the child in. We come in after school. So they're on a routine. So he comes in. He put the stuff down. The first thing he says is hot dogs. So I said, okay, that was his first hot dog. So I cook his hot dog. I make his egg, and he sits down. So then he plays for a while. Then he runs out of stuff to do and plays, so he comes back and he'll say, hot dog. So I'm like, okay, no, you already had a hot dog an hour ago. So as soon as I said no, that was a trigger. Oh, he can't have a hot dog. He started having fits. So I said, okay, great. I said, one second. I said, if you do this, then we can do this. 
So what I started to do is use the if-then method. And the if-then method, because a lot of children with autism and with behavior, especially, with behavior issues are visual children, I used a Velcro chart. And I started, I made pictures of if you do this chore activity, I made a picture of a hot dog. And what it is is that it can, it curbed his appetite of wanting a hot dog all the time. And plus, it made him think of something else to do. So I would say if you be on your iPad for this amount of time and we look at these videos, then we can have hot dogs. Okay, and it doesn't put a time constraint because it doesn't say we're going to do it right immediately, but it doesn't put him on a time constraint. But he does know if he finishes these lessons with me, he's going to get that hot dog. Right, so, right. But you also so put a value I, in the hot dog too, and you know exactly. he's realizing these hot dogs are kind of costing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like, okay, um, <laughs> we're running out of hot dogs. So, but no, but it. I help the parents save on buying hot dogs. And they right. because they're like, wow, we used to go through two, three packs of hot dogs a day, and he's still on his one pack. And then what, what, what is so funny is that when the parents come home, you see the different reaction of the child. You know, they get, they get very controlled and they're under control. And as soon as the parents come, they ah, hot dog, hot dog, da, 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 da. they're ready to get, you know, the treatment. So I look at the parents, I'm like, if we do this, we get this. And the child looks at me like, wow, he got my parents. And so the parents right, started using right. the chart. And then the child started to learn and understand, okay, if I do this. And it doesn't work all the time with all the children. It may take a little bit more time. But the lesson that it's teaching the child is you don't get a hot dog if you act out. You don't get that candy if you roll it on the floor. All I'm going to do is walk over you. You know, so it teaches the child to know that you have to learn to discipline yourself and you get the reward because that's a reward. That's not their dinner. That's a reward. That's a treat. You get treats when you do something that I need you to do, and I do it together with them. So I don't say read this or do that. Let's do this, and I'm interacting with them. And then they look at me and like, okay, Great, because they're looking at me like, wow, what is what is she doing? What is this woman doing? And it teaches them a lesson, and I apply that to a lot of my children. I use those Velcro charts and the sticky, the stickies, and you just Velcro it on, and it has different activities, whatever they like. If a child likes to listen to headphones, you make pictures of headphones. If they like um, reading a special book or they have a special toy, you put that on there. But it's called If and Then. If you do this, then you get that. The then is always the treat. Mm-hmm. This is always the activity that they have to participate in, and and it helps. And it and it, you know, uh, it makes them calm down. It I I never had a problem. I never had a problem. But some children you just can't control if their you know their hyperactivity is very high or their behavior is very high. Some are very violent. Uh, it takes time. Like I do, I have one. I was chasing a child around their own house one time. <laughs> Sometimes it's like that. And then one time, I said, I'm going to trick them. So while they were going in circles, I went the other way. <laughs> and he crashed in front of me like, oh, I say, okay, yes. So you like to run? Let's go outside. So I, I de-escalate the situation by turning into something else. Mm-hmm. So now he's like, going outside? I'm like, yes, you want to run? Let's go outside. So he forgot all about he was trying to escape from me to now he's going to run outside and play because they don't understand. So I said, let's go outside. Let's get the jacket. Let's go. And so we started going outside, and he just calmed down immediately. Mm-hmm. So it's just being able to find, you have to be very creative, finding what will help them de-escalate because you don't want to escalate the situation. You want to calm the child down. And I teach the parents, if the child is doing this, these are the things you want to try and do. Because it's kind of hard to work with the child environment, and then when you leave, the child is right back to the same thing again. The parents feel that nothing has been taught. So parents, yes, the child like, well, why is it that they're always doing this with you? But then when you leave, they're always doing this to me. 
So I teach the parents, these are the things you want to do because if the child sees it again and knows that they were doing this with me, now I have to do it with my parents, they see that, okay, now I'm going to have to try and change. These are the, the new stuff that they want me to do. So it's not just with me. Those. Hello? I All lost you time. again, Siobhan. <laughs> Hear me? Okay. Yeah, yeah, you, you faded out again. We lost you for a second. Oh, wow, okay. Okay, so that's, you're back that's now. That's how I do it. <laughs> well, that's awesome. And, you know, and, and this is so important for the parents, too, because they are frustrated, you know? Yes. They, they They're at their wit's end. They're, they're doing the best. And mostly what we have coming up is how our parents raised us. And we, we don't get anything else extra, <laughs> you know? It's just, exactly. you know, when I was behaving like this, this is what happened to me. And, and that's not going to work. You know, oh, no. and, uh, and and it's great that you're able to educate both the child and the parent and um, help them to both find a common ground so that they can develop a different type of bond and relationship with each other relationship. as well. Because by removing that barrier, that communication barrier, and that part where a parent needs to be a parent, giving that back to them and giving them control again of situations by uh, giving them another way to resolve these issues is is just phenomenal. Exactly. And it gives them a chance to be able to take the lock off the refrigerator, unscrew Mm -hmm. the cabinets, because that's not teaching. It's hindering the whole household. Now everyone has to know the combination lock if they want to snag or you have to, you know. Yeah, so <laughs> I take the ties off. A parent was like, oh, my goodness, that he's going to be in there or that child's going to get that snack. And I'm like, no, you have to let them see that you trust them. I trust you. Yeah. So yeah. are you going to go into that refrigerator and take that snack or are you going to be a person of development and show me that you have learned self-control and you're going to earn the snack and not get it. Right. And so awesome. that's how you teach them that they they um, that they improve so they feel good. Oh, wow, I did yeah. good. I did it. Yay, high five. Yeah. You know, now I can <laughs> get the snack. Yay. So right. that's how they start to change because they feel good that they achieved something. And now the hot dog, the cupcake, or whatever the fruit is that they want, now they feel good that they're going to get the fruit because now they're asking me, can I get fruit? Yes, go ahead and get the fruit. Mm-hmm. Versus I'm going to pick the lock and I'm going to get this fruit. And, and when it comes to I their do. confidence level, they, they assume now that they can achieve things that they may yes. have given up on before in the very beginning and thinking that they can't do that, you know, exactly. which is frustrating, which makes them act out. You know, exactly. wow. You know, we're, we're getting close to the end of the show, and I, I got to bring Tony back on because, you know, Tony, you know, I know you didn't get much time to talk, but you know we're going to do a show with you alone already because of your your musical <laughs> talents and all the things that you do. So, you know, I have another show. It's called Turn It Up, and it's for independent recording artists. And uh, like we, we got to have you on and, and just have you, um, you know, tell us a little bit, though, before we, you know, a little teaser for that show to come about Uh-oh. your musical background and some of the things that you've um, experienced in your um in your past and in present in music? Well, um, well, I started working out with a guy named Norman Bradley. Norman Bradley's from Plainfield, New Jersey. Um, he's, um, he used to be in this group. <laughs> I forgot the name of the group, but, you know, when I started working with him, we actually started group, working with the group Total. Well, they actually, I believe the name was called, we called him Total Control. Um, mm. I went to high school with a young lady, um, um, Kima, um, Keisha, I believe. I'm not sure if she's Kima's cousin and Pam from Potters, New Jersey. But basically it was a collaboration, me and Alex Kennedy. Uh, we all worked in a studio called BMW Production. So from just working with, you know, them, um, I started to meet other people. Um, Norma was around um, this guy named Tim Scheider. He's actually... Um, Tim Schneider is Gary Schneider's brother from the Parliament of Funkadelic. They got a world of Blackfoot. 
We oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, Gary's passed. I'm rest in peace. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, working in a, uh, in a field of funk, that's Pete Funk City is um, George Clinton is originally, that's where he's originally from. Like, that's where the Pete Funk City is from. It's playing from my hometown. So Man. from working with them, um, Norman introduced me to Michael. Michael um, Houston, which is Whitney Houston's brother, um, introduced, um, we, I drove up with uh, Michael to the house. You know, I never knew where I was going. I just know that I didn't know he was um, Whitney's brother. He was just like, hey, you want to go to the studio? I'll make sure. You know, any studio, I'll go to it, as long as they don't have nothing legal going on in there. But um, basically what it is is I met Whitney and, you know, you know, working in the house, working with um, Smooth B from Nice and Smooth, uh, working with uh, Tony Terry. Uh, that's, you know, mm-hmm. Tim Scheidek. Uh, you know, I don't work with a lot of people. I don't um, perform with um, the, the, the great Dorothy Norwood. Uh, yeah. Robert Long, mm. you know, I, I was AIDS benefited playing for high school, and I I sung with them. Uh, what's the other guy? Um, Colonel, as I believe it, Colonel Abrams. He sung a song, um, and it was just a whole bunch of people. Man, I could just name names, and that's not what it's about. But that's what made me get into the music industry to produce music and write. And you know, I got an artist that I'm working with right now. Her name is Neek. And she's she's really she's actually really really good man. So I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to you know climbing the ladder with you know musicians and you know dropping songs, doing jingles, commercials. I did a commercial in New Jersey as well. Um, it was a Jay's Diamond commercial that was years ago. But you know it's funny because a lot of kids. I used to be in a grocery store and kids used to say, hey, "Mommy, that's the guy from the Jay's Diamond commercial." Yeah, that's me. And, you know, of course, modesty is really good because I'm not the type of person where somebody sees me and say, oh, you you did this. And, you know, I'll be like, yeah, yeah, you know what it is. No, nah, it's really not what it is. It's a blessing. So mm-hmm. everything that God has done, I try to return back, you know. Oh, that's great. That's great. And, and it's interesting to me, too, because um, y- you've been in those circles and you've been connected to some people who could, you know, push you in certain directions. And for you to find this passion for children and mm-hmm. to to stay fixated on it for so long. It, it's, it's really, really admirable. And um, I, I'm excited about everything that you guys are doing. I, I look forward to following you guys and, you know, and understanding where you're progressing, what you might need, any help that I can, um, you know, connect you guys with somebody, or if there's anything I can do myself, please let me know. Um, I'm I'm really really uh, impressed with the work that you guys do and the impact that you have on children. Uh, children are our future, all of our children, and um, you you guys are changing lives. You really are, and and that that's just just um, you're a blessing to the world. So I just thank you guys, and um, you know I hope to have you back on again soon. Um, Definitely you, um, Tony, for your music, but as you guys get closer to this benefit as well, we want to um, make sure that we get you back on, if not for a full show, at least briefly to talk about, you know, where people can find uh, your ticket sales and the event location and things like that. So go ahead and, and give everybody your social media, your contact information, you know, web pages on all that. Okay, um, you can reach us at email. The email is showthechildrenloveinc at gmail.com. You can also reach us at Facebook. On Facebook at Show the Children Love Inc. On LinkedIn, Show the Children Love Inc. It'll be under our name, Siobhan and Tony. So you will have to search it that way, and then it'll come up with Show the Children Love. Okay. And is there a website as well? Uh, The website is under construction right now because we're adding in so much um, information. But once we get the website up, we will post that out on our Facebook page and on our LinkedIn page. Okay. And feel free to post that on my page as well. Okay. That sounds perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. Great talking with you guys. I know the week has 
you know, start another round right here, but we would more than likely run out of time. We're about there now. But um, I really appreciate what you guys do. And um, I just want to, um, again, give you guys kudos for just putting something together that really is all about, it's not so much an idea, it's more of a need. It's more of a process where you guys kept finding a way that you could, you know, give a part of yourself that, that benefits others, and that's just the way it should be. Yes, I I am happy, though, Michael. I'm glad we're able to provide this service to families to help relieve some stress from them and give them that time that they need to just get a breather, a time to relax, to recoup their own mind. So we're happy. Uh, we're We're blessed to be able to have this talent to connect with these children in the manner that we connect with them. And we're just happy to be able to afford this opportunity to come on your show to discuss our new business, our new venture, and we're more than welcome for anyone to give us um, a call or send us an email to ask us any questions they want to ask. We'll be glad to help anyone out. All right. Thank you again, Siobhan and Tony. God bless you both, and we will talk with you soon. All right. Thank you, Michael. Today is just another day for most of us, but yesterday, millions of exceptional, brilliant people decided that they were going to do something this day that would change their lives for the better and potentially the lives of hundreds more. Some even awoke with an unheard of sense of determination, focus, and vision, ready to leap forward and make that big change in their lives. In reality, most awoke pretty much the same way as most of us, with today's office grind, tasks, checklists, calendars, and chores for the day as their primary concern. Sadly, some forgot yesterday's decision when they awoke, and others were just too afraid to try, and some just too stubborn to change, and many who forgot that tomorrow is not promised did not make it to see the sunrise today. I can't emphasize this enough. There is no time like the present. Whatever you want for your tomorrow, the effort has to start today. Better yet, right now. God has embedded in us a will and life purpose We may succeed at any number of things, but this is the one thing that we can be assured to be much bigger than ourselves. It is our opportunity to accomplish the amazing, touch the lives of a multitude of people, and leave this world that we live in a much better place due to our efforts. Yeah, but first we have to take action. Take bold steps to crush our fear with confidence, destroy our insecurity with intense determination, and implement a decisive plan that will turn obstacles into minor adjustments and defeat into monuments of mistakes that we will never make again, all because of the wisdom we obtained that special day. You know what? There is no stopping people who truly care about the lives of others. I would dare say that they are invincible because nothing can destroy the human spirit. Why is it that I feature nonprofits and charities on my show so often? It's not just because that they are awesome and a rare breed of individuals. It's because they selflessly do the work that matters because others won't. And just because it's the right thing to do. How huge is that? But they do need your help. They first need you to be informed and aware, and I think we've taken care of that. Next, they need you to take action. Become a part of this solution. Or is today just another day? You already did something great today. You woke up this morning. The question is, who will you be today? Take a close look. Therein lies a measure of truth. Well, we've come to the end of another great show. Special thanks to our producer, Donna Hardiman. I'm Michael Forderman. You've been listening to A Measure of Truth. But before you go, here's a little something to take with you. Ask God for wisdom daily, but know that your lesson can come from anybody or any situation, good or bad, friend or foe. 
Watch your thoughts. They become words. And watch your words. They become actions. And watch your actions. They become habits. And watch your habits. They become your character. And watch your character. It becomes your destiny. Until we meet again, take care of what becomes of you.